Welcome to For the Church, a podcast for the flock of Zion Presbyterian Church in Columbia, Tennessee. We want to help you think biblically about everyday matters. Zion Church exists to join Jesus in his mission to reach people with the gospel and then to equip his people to worship and to serve. I'm your host, Keaton Paul, and joining me is my conversation partner and co-host, Seth Scruggs. In our current moment in Zion's history, we're on a journey to find a new lead pastor and This is an exciting time, but also one that can raise questions and concerns. And this season in particular, we really want to ask and hopefully answer some some questions in particular. What is a pastor and what makes a good one? And how do we find a new leader? Where Where does this come from? And what's even the process for that to occur? Over the next several episodes, we'll be looking at what I'm calling pastor profiles. And in this section, what we're really getting at is we're asking, what do pastors even do? And maybe what are some good examples of who have done this well throughout the history of the church? Today in particular, we're going to look at the pastor as a physician of the soul. But before we dive in, hey, Seth, how are you? I'm good, Keaton. How are you? You know, I'm doing great. It's a... uh, it's an early fall morning, and this is this is completely an aside. Has nothing to do with pastoral <laughs> ministry at all. Uh, I love fall so much; it is absolutely one of my favorite times. And the month of September, leading up to the anticipation of what I've come to refer to as the golden quarter, is just it's like Christmas except for a whole month. <laughs> Even dare I say, even better than Christmas. Um, Good. You've but, got your tea, like you're ready to go. I'm so, I'm so ready. I've this got, is you peak know, Keaton Paul, just like ready to. This is this is me thriving. Absolutely, I've got, you know, a, a really old flannel shirt. Um, I've got some English breakfast tea with lemon, which is. That's a year-round staple, but this time of the year it becomes more bearable when you're doing this in August and it's so hot. It's it's not so enjoyable, but now it's it's really fantastic. So, yeah. but that is related to pastoral ministry because you are in fact a pastor. Okay, yeah, there I, I go. There's our segue. There's our segue. <laughs> there's our segue. And you know, if you um, if you're listening to this now and you want to join join into the the tea festivities, you know, maybe right now is a good time to just hit pause. Go make yourself a cup of tea and come back to this conversation. That's what we're here for. Yeah. The the digital world we live in. Yep. So anyway, (laughs) uh, abrupt, abrupt uh, transition. Yep. We're looking today at the pastor as a physician of the soul. And, you know, this is, you know, one of the things that that we kind of want to think about. What do pastors do day-to-day like what's the day-to-day job of a pastor and and one category that I think is very very important especially for our day and age um, in a in a world um, that is feeling so much tension of you know kind of um, you know disembodiment because of the digital age uh, the the mental health crisis the the lack of, of actually being known, a pastor as a physician of the soul, I think, is a vital feature and a vital work that the pastor does. So, first and foremost, like a little bit uh, of you know historical background, you won't find uh, the descriptor of a pastor as a physician of the soul explicitly. I think you can find it implicitly, but you can't find it explicitly 
in scripture. But you do find it, it's very rich throughout the history of the church and in the tradition of the church. And so far as I can find, um, and you know, this isn't just on my my own work, but on the work of others, the first kind of mention of the pastor as a physician of the soul is a guy with a really cool name called Gregory of Nanzianzus. Um, little background on Gregory, you know, so you, know, you could almost, you know, put in here like, what, what does an early church father have to tell us about, you know, caring for souls in the 21st century? Well, Gregory of Nanzianzus has a lot to say about it, uh, because really the human condition, though cultures and contexts change, um, the human soul has a lot of the, the same ailments throughout time and space. And so Gregory of Nazianzus is one of its early church father. He's an early church father. He's one of three um, that belong to this group known as the Cappadocian Fathers. Um, you know, not that we would ever, <laughs> ever as a church have like a merch table, um, but we, our, our life group in particular, um, <laughs> one of our, our, our favorite guys in the whole wide world, um, you know, has, has come up with, uh, some, some great Logan Peck, if you're listening, um, come up with some great ideas for not really merch, but st- stuff that I would want to have. And, uh, one thing he wants to do is hopefully he should copyright it before this episode goes out. I'll text him. Um, he wants to get a, a dad hat and have a picture of the Cappadocian fathers on it and call it, uh, under it had the caption cat dads because capitation fathers anyway <laughs> um only real church history nerds would appreciate it but uh gregory nonsianzus is one of those cappadocian fathers gregory nonsianzus gregory of nicia is another one and then basil basil so two gregories and a basil um make up the cappadocian fathers but um, at least in my very humble opinion gregory of nonsianzus is maybe the most significant of the three i heard one uh, pastor and theologian say it this way, what Augustine is to the West, Gregory of Nazianzus is to the East. And uh, Gregory has all kinds of, you know, super, super helpful things to say about the Trinity. Um, but for our conversation today, he has really important things to say about the pastor as a physician of the soul. And we find this first in his work um, called Second Orations, um, this little little bitty book. You can actually get it today. I can't remember how many pages it is. It's about a hundred pages, really short. Uh, and in this, what, what Gregory's doing, uh, in the fourth century, he's laying out in his second orations, really, um, somewhat, it's somewhat biographical and he's laying out for us kind of his journey to becoming a pastor. And, uh, you know, he, he becomes a pastor somewhat unwillingly at a very young age. Um, he was a gifted rhetorer, as many, um, many early church fathers were. Um, and suddenly, out of nowhere, just like a ton of bricks, he just disappears. And, you know, he's probably in his early 20s at this point, uh, recently ordained pastor, uh, presbyter, elder, whatever you want to use there. See our first episode for more on that. And he just, out of nowhere, just, like, falls off the face of the planet. Everyone's like, where's Gregory? Like, where's Greg? What's Greg doing? And um, come to find out, the the weight of what it is to be a pastor just smacks him in the face. And so he runs, like, 
you know, not quite like changes his name and goes to the next town over, but he really does flee to the desert um, and lives in isolation for a fair amount of time um, where nobody really knows kind of what's going on because he's, he just, he feels the weight of the past. And it's while he's, he's there contemplating in the desert uh, or the wilderness, you know, um, that he really thinks up one, the significance of the pastoral ministry, but while he's there, he thinks uh, of such the such a high calling of pastoral ministry, um, and he kind of coins the term that the pastor is the physician of the soul, and so he has this amazing quote in his second oration as he's describing the work of the pastor, and this is one of the things that really smacked him in the face, where he was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. He says, the the scope of our art is to give the soul wings, to rescue it from the world, and to give it to God. And as he's wrestling through that, it absolutely terrifies him. And so he's he's kind of thinking on um, this comparison of you know physicians uh, of their day and physicians of the soul, and he goes on to say, for these reasons, I allege that our office as physician far exceeds in toilsomeness and consequently in worth that which is confined to the body, and further, because the latter is mainly concerned with the surface and only in a slight degree investigates the causes which are deeply hidden, but the whole of our treatment and exertion is concerned with the hidden man of the heart, and our warfare Warfare is directed against that adversary and foe within us who uses ourselves as weapons against ourselves and most fearful of all hands us over to the death of sin. And so, you know, just hearing that kind of unpacking it a little bit, uh, what, what a pastor is doing is really treating man at the deepest part or humans at the deepest part of who we are in our in our heart, uh, in our soul, the, the fullness of us um, as both body and soul. Uh, and it's the treatment of, of that whole thing who is constantly at war within ourselves, um, seeking to, to fight sin, um, seeking to, to, to diagnose the various aspects of the heart. Uh, and Gregory really gives us insight. The rest of the early church fathers uh, do this in extensive ways, um, but right through the Puritans and even up until our time, this kind of language and this focus of a pastor as a physician of the soul uh, really is kind of the one of the main focuses of what pastoral ministry is. Yeah, I want to dig into that yeah. a little bit more, but first I want to zoom out a little bit and just look at like what you're doing by going back essentially to the start of the church. Yeah, right? right. And I think that so often we, we forget mm. that we are not the first people to do this. Oh, We're man. not the first church to exist. I think it's something that's really great about Zion as a church is that every Sunday you're, sitting in a room where people have worshiped for 200 years mm. and you're kind of reminded that you're standing in a lineage of, of Christians yeah. as opposed to the first people to ever worship in this building. And, yeah. and I think that's really helpful. Absolutely. And so I think going back to, um, you know, someone at the very start of the church, yeah. 
wrestling with these issues of what it means to be a pastor, seeing them as a very real person as well. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he may not have used this word, but like he's suffering from anxiety and depression and imposter syndrome and all these things that like we, we, we talk about all the time. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I think it's really good to, to zoom out and say, all right. And, and what you just said about tracing that kind of lineage mm. through the whole of the Christian faith. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like this isn't just some new idea that you've come up with. Right. You're just connecting the dots. And I think that's really, really big. Well, and you know, another thing that I want to, <laughs> that I want to kind of push on and we're going to somewhat build to this maybe in an anticlimactic way <laughs> in, you know, there are two, two, I think almost curses in, um, in some of the way that we quote unquote do Christianity, uh, mm-hmm. in our context. Um, one is the massive emphasis on you know celebrity culture and celebrity pastors, um, Gregory. While I mean, yeah, we, you know, he was he was around in the three hundreds, and here we are in the twenty first century, still talking about him. So he's you know a, a man of significance. Um, at the end of the day, like he's also a really normal guy. Uh, yeah. These are not superheroes. The Lord, in His kindness has gifted uh, certain pastors in certain times um, with, I I think we could say, abnormal gifts. Uh, typically with abnormal gifts, um, there there comes also the Lord's means of, of keeping a man humble. But here we look at Gregory, who is brilliant, to be sure, um, but also somebody who who is wrestling with a massive amount of hmm. what you say anxiety and depression and imposter syndrome to the point that he's willing to you know give up really the the you know his whole kind of life identity community all of it and run away to a desolate place because he's you know he he thinks that. Um, he could never could never live up to the task. So there's that that component um, of celebrity pastor that I I think you know sometimes taking a, a broader view will help us against. Uh, but the second part is just the sheer almost disembodiment of the Christian life that we we overemphasize in our context. So everything is is very much kind of feeling. Um, and you can even see this, this is an interesting thing. I don't know if I would ever do a podcast on it, but it is a, it's been a place of, uh, a thing of fascination for me for a long time, the nature of architecture in the context of mm. worship. Yep. And if you notice in a lot of modern churches, this is not to besmirch anybody, right? But like, it is just a fact that oftentimes in a lot of church contexts today, what happens, uh, in the middle of worship, whether that be during the music or during the preaching the lights are brought way, way, way down low, so you can't see really anybody else in there, um, and it's intended to be almost a, a not really a physical experience, but almost a purely emotional experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, really, just with us kind of taking a step back, even a broader scope, to say let's trace out our lineage, really is something akin to to taking if you've ever sat in. Our sanctuary, for instance, which was completed in 1849, 
um, and just sat there and pondered for a minute. You know, if if these walls could talk, they would sing hymns. They really would. Um, or if you've ever sat in, you know, one of the the great European cathedrals, the same sort of feeling occurs that this is a story and a family that's much, much bigger than me and much bigger than my context and my preferences um, and even the day and age in which I live. And so kind of getting this broader broader picture of, of some, some great pastors that are also really ordinary people who the Lord has gifted for, for such a time as they were in, um, maybe is really, really helpful for us. Yeah. And so I want to push on those two things in particular. And I think your point about the kind of disembodiment, and I, I would even go as far to say um, individualization yeah, absolutely. of the Sunday morning service, actually co- comes back and circles back to this idea of the physician of the soul. Yeah, Because for sure. the idea of physician of the soul is that, we, we talked about this with our... Um, or we kind of talked about what pastors, what the biblical vision of pastors yeah. isn't, yeah. right? And one of those things is a good speaker right. and a like professional talker kind right. of thing. Right. And a lot of times we reduce the Sunday morning service mm. to church, quote unquote church. Yeah. And we reduce that even further down to, well, I went and I listened to the sermon. Yeah, right. And... um. I, I did some work on this in college with my biblical studies degree, and um, I believe it was Sky Jatani wrote about this idea that, oh, well, I can just listen to the podcast. Mm, I can listen mm-hmm. to the podcast, or I can listen to the sermon, and I can, John Piper can be my pastor, and yeah. I can listen to John John Piper's sermons, and not that that isn't completely valuable. I mean, we're sitting here talking to my friends, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. hopefully in an effort to build up the church, but... You know, and it's great, like the fact that you can listen to like yeah. almost all of John Piper's sermons, right? And we can go back and listen to most of Tim Keller's sermons, especially yeah. now that he's no longer with us, right? That's great, yeah. But there's an there's an added element, mm-hmm. and the physician of the soul idea that we're kind of talking about. You have to be in community, right? You totally. have to be able to be, and I think we're going to talk about this a little bit more. But you have to be seen and known by the pastor, yeah in order for that to really work and to take that even into that like architecture question. Yeah. You know, the, the Sunday, we have no lights really in, (laughs) in the Zion sanctuary. We have some lights, but they're not doing a lot. Right. (laughs) It is mostly lit by the windows. Yeah. Natural light. Yeah. Which means there's no control. Right. There's no control over how light or dark it is. Mm-hmm. And and again, what you said, you know, it's not to necessarily besmirch other places that don't have windows or whatever, you know, yeah. different things exist and that's great. Right. Um, but I think what that does, and, and even to go back to the cathedral idea, yeah, no lights, yeah. you know, you're, you're lighting from the windows. Right. And so what that means is that you can't hide. Right. From the past, you know, the pastor can see everyone. Oh man, that's good. Um, And because of that, there's a connection. Mm -hmm. There's a connection beyond that disembodied, I'm going to listen and either emotionally respond or mentally assent to what you're saying. Right. Which is what I think a lot of us boil down a lot of the, you know, listening to sermons idea is, oh, well, I can just emotionally respond and pray and have my me and Jesus thing. Right. 
or it can mentally assent, which I think is even a little bit more dangerous than some emotional responses because it doesn't really get at the heart. Yeah. Yeah. But a good pastor or a true pastor is reaching beyond that Sunday morning service. Yeah. And knowing the congregation that they are, they've been put in charge of. Yeah. So let's actually, let's, let's start there. I wasn't actually planning on starting here, but this is probably the best place to start. (laughs) So, um, one thing, like there are certain things that for pastors to be able to do, they need to know certain things, right? Mm. One thing that your pastor should know fairly well is the Bible, right? I think that makes sense. Um, but you you can have an amazing knowledge of scripture but if you don't know your people mm. you can't be a physician of the soul um or if you don't if you don't understand people generally one like you can't be a good pastor uh but two if you don't know your your people specifically you can't be an effective pastor in that either and so you know he, here is one thing that that you know, that pastors really need. And then as we look for a pastor, certain things that, that we kind of need to bear in mind. One, your your pastor needs to be well-versed in, in sacred things. That's obvious. Your pastor needs to be completely and utterly reliant on the Holy Spirit. That is also, you know, true. It can be exceedingly difficult, but it's true. But here's another thing. And, and even for like the time being, just he, here's how it is. Pastors... Um, pastors, one, need to make, need people to make themselves known. Um, good pastors, uh, I think, hopefully, people who, who are rightly called, who, um, who, who have good intentions of being pastors, one of their first priorities is to know the flock well. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are few things I think that could be more disheartening to pastors, ultimately, in my view, uh, than a people who, like, just refuse to um, refuse to to let themselves be known by their pastor. Um, I, you know, in pastoral ministry, you can. There's a variety of situations that you'll find yourself in. Um, whether it's getting coffee or you're making hospital visits or you're dropping off meals. This is also just a general truth about, you know, the Christian life. Hopefully this is true for people. Um, but there are often times where, you know, people, every one of us are, are fallen and sinful and have deep, deep needs of the soul. Um, and one of the good gifts that we saw, you know, in really Ephesians chapter four is one of the good gifts that the Lord has given his people is each other. And so in making yourself known to your pastor to say, this is where my soul hurt is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and connected to, to soul hurt could be so many different variables, family issues, health issues, um, you know, uh, relationship issues, all these different doubt issues, skepticism, all of these different things are, are are stuff that good pastors long to know about your people because good pastors want to shepherd sheep. But it's really, really difficult to shepherd sheep that you don't know, which is why, again, back to your point, that the the idea of, you know, my church is whatever online church and, 
my pastor is this guy. No, I've never met him, and he's never met me. Well, no, that's a public speaker that you enjoy listening to, and that can be an awesome, awesome thing. That's that's a very valuable thing to do. Um, but that's not your pastor. Uh, and, and so um, sometimes, and as pastoral ministry goes about, you know, just spending time opening yourself up to, to your pastor, showing them where the hurt is, uh, can be really, really valuable. But here's another thing that you'll find. Pastors, this is just, this is like an inside scoop, me bearing my soul to, to people. <laughs> so um, here it is. Um, pastors long to be known themselves, but it's a really scary thing to do, right? Because hmm. there there is this perception of, you know, you're the expert. And granted, like, here we are talking about pastors as physicians of the soul. That's true. And the Lord has called and ordained pastors to that that end. That doesn't mean, though, that pastors don't also have hurt to, um, that, that we don't need soul care as well. And I'll just be the first to confess that, like, it's, it's scary to make mistakes known to other people just in general, uh, but especially in the context of pastoral ministry. And so one thing that, like, that, that you can do, um, oh, congregation, uh, for your pastors, um, whoever they, you know, Jeff and myself and the elders now and your, you know, whoever we call going forward, um, it is to, to actually be okay with them being flawed. Um, mm. th- that's a huge deal. And I think, you know, something that I could envision, uh, what one of the marks I think of a healthy church, not to steal a, a popular book um, by another pastor that I really respect, but um, it is maybe it's a maybe the church uh, being a place where repentance is celebrated is a massively helpful uh, healthy church, um, which includes you know repentance even of pastors. Um, so anyway, that, that concept of, of knowing and being known pastors, knowing their people, pastors being known by their people are vital, vital functions. Um, and maybe even like the starting point for how pastors are physicians of the soul through the work of the spirit, uh, knowing your people, knowing their needs, hearing their hurts, making yourself known. Um, because, you know, again, like we we really do and are uh, building one another up in the faith. That's that's a very tangible thing that we're doing. And one of the, the ways that we do that is by being known. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, and I, just to kind of put it another way, it sounds like the image you're painting is one where the pastors are not removed from mm-hmm. the church, but they are yes. an active yes. part of the church. Right. And I think that... Um, you know, historically, at least in my experience with the current pastoral leadership, you and Jeff and yeah. our elders, that that's true. That's that's yeah. what we've seen lived out. I mean, you, yeah. for instance, y- you are part of a life group, right? You know, it's not. And to to be clear, I'm in that life group. Yeah, um, I enjoy that life group a lot. We love yeah. our life group, but that life group is not necessarily led by you, right? 
it is just as much a place for you to bring mm-hmm. your whatever is going on in your life as much as it is a place for us to bring ours. Yeah. And yeah. and so I think that again to kind of contrast that with our kind of public perception mm-hmm. of pastoral leadership and leadership in general, I think. Um, and whether I'm not a sociologist, so whether that's social media or just people or whatever, we have this idea that if you are the leader, right, you have to keep like this air of mystery around right. you. Like right. in order, like in order to maintain your leadership, you can't actually let anyone in. You can't actually be vulnerable. You can't actually do these things. Yeah. When in reality, especially in a place like a church, yeah, where you're trying to get people to open up and share their hurts, yeah, it has to be a place where you can come down off the platform, so to speak, right, and really connect. And the only way to truly be a pastor as a physician of the soul, like we're talking about in that regard, is to actually come down and you know, open yourself up to yeah. the congregation. I think it's huge. Yeah, I think so. You know, and this is somewhat off script, but like that, like, isn't that the, you know, to, to coin the, the quote unquote Jesus model or, mm-hmm. you know, to, you know, use a different word, an incarnational model mm-hmm. of, you know, Ephesians 2 comes to mind that like, here's the, the chief shepherd for first Peter five, here's the chief you know, shepherd whose rightful place is at the, you know, the, the right hand of God, the father almighty. And what does he do? He, uh, he, he, to quote the, the verse, he humbles himself and he, he takes to himself a true body and a reasonable soul to quote the confession. And, and like, you know, he, he dwells among his people. There's this knownness about mm-hmm. Jesus that really should be astonishing. Like this, is that, that is, one of the the grandest mysteries of the gospel um that that our god doesn't stand afar off um but is known to his people covenantally and it's always him moving first and so the model of of pastoral ministry really should be be one just like that uh, you know and i can think of uh, of the apostle paul being being a very similar sort of, um, you know, test case, uh, you know, th- just thinking to, um, his, his writing, especially to, to the Corinthian church, uh, a royally flawed church. And then, you know, at the end of second Corinthians, he's like, Oh, by the way, um, the Lord Jesus gave me this thorn in the flesh and I keep asking him to take it away because, uh, it makes me feel weak and it's, painful, whatever it is. Um, and so I'm making my hurt, I'm making my condition known to you, but Hey, there's this redemptive focus here too. Um, and so the concept of pastors being known and knowing people, um, really is the model of, of not, you know, not just the, the Bible, but, but the whole gospel. Um, and so I, I think that's, that's really beautiful. Um, what you brought up there is really, really helpful. But now that one of the questions that I think we, we should probably ask in, you know, now that we've got sort of this, you know, Jesus model or incarnational model, or, you know, maybe we could call it the covenantal model um, <laughs> to, to make it more Presbyterian. Um, Cause we, you know, we do covenantal coffee, 
covenantal model, covenantal whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of building off of that, how is it, what are the tools then mm. yep. that physicians of the soul use? Um, well, I, you know, kind of thinking through this, uh, I, um, there, sometimes we try to overcomplicate, like our natural posture is to overcomplicate things and reinvent the will. I think so much of the time, that's my inclination too, of, you know, um, innovation for the, for innovation's sake. Um, but really, and, and, you know, two, two guys that have been massively helpful for me here, um, one kind of teasing out in a very quick way, um, you know, Gregory of Nazianzus, his general ethos and his, this kind of angle as the physician of the soul is, um, uh, professor of pastoral theology at Westminster, Alfred Poirier. He did a lecture on this, and it's in a small book. Um, can't remember the title, but it's been very good. He picks this up really well, all of his stuff. Really, all the guys at Westminster are phenomenal. Um, so he's been helpful here. Um, but another one, uh, interestingly enough, uh, a, a Lutheran pastor, I'll butcher's name, but um, Harold uh, Sinkbill um, wrote a really you know, a really, really good book recently on the pastoral ministry called The Care of Souls. Um, I think it was 2020 he wrote that. It came out some sometime around there, maybe before then. But um but what they what they're doing, uh, both of them really capturing the language of the Bible, uh, the language of church history, leaning a lot on the pastoral work of some of the early church fathers, Gregory, one of them, John Chrysostom, um, Gregory the Great, amongst others, is to say, you know, the tools that the Lord gives pastors as physicians of the soul are are actually really, really simple. They're what we call in the Reformed tradition the means of grace. Word, sacrament, prayer. So, you know, like how you how you program various things, you know, how you design certain aspects of the church, um, if you're super tech savvy and let's say your church is really cool and they have a podcast, <laughs> um, well, that's great. But at the end of the day, the real tools for pastoral ministry are word sacrament and prayer. Um, you know, um, the, the Bible, which the book of Hebrews says is sharper than any two-edged sword, right? Um, is, is, you know, you could look at it somewhat as the scalpel of, uh, uh, physician of the soul. And so whether that be primarily, I think, in preaching, um, which is why making yourself known to your pastor is so vital. Um, I think this is another thing, uh, and it's proven to be true. Those seasons where I've been able to have the most time with people in the flock and, you know, break past the casual conversation where we talk about sports or the weather or whatever else and really get to heart matters. My preaching, at least in my understanding, this could be totally wrong, but from how it's, it's coming from, from my perspective is so much better when people make themselves known and are, you know, this is where I'm struggling. Great. Now I know how to take this text and put myself in your shoes and, and kind of think through the lens of scripture in order to get into 
um, the difficult places of life and apply this directly where you are. Um, and so I think, you know, so much of the time, if you do listen to uh, a lot of pastors today, really the application is so generic. Um, you know, it just, you just kind of throw it, there's this vague sensibility of, uh, well, here's how this text applies, you know, and it's just kind of a, it's more like a a vague observation of the text versus a, a real application. Some of that might not actually be your pastor's fault, right? Like your pastor should do the hard work of digging into the text and thinking through the text and what I call bridging, um, you know, building a bridge from the ancient world. This is building off of John Stott's kind of model of preaching, building a bridge from the ancient world and actually building it into our day and age. But your pastor is going to really, really struggle to do that if you don't let them in. Hmm. Um, If you don't kind of lay before them your, your soul, it's really hard to apply the text, you know, uh, precisely where you're at if you just don't make yourself known, um, which again, I know is a very scary thing to do. And in an age where, you know, pastoral and, you know, spiritual abuse is pretty rampant. Um, that can be a scary thing, but like, you know, if, if you're, if your pastor's preaching sermons that just aren't hitting, it might not be that they're not trying. It might be that they're really, really trying super hard. Um, the people just won't let them in. And I, I do feel bad for guys who are kind of stuck in that situation. Uh, so so there's that. But um, preaching is the primary way, I think, in which the, the Lord is is using his word for his congregation, but, but also using the word in pastoral counseling, um, I think is so vital. Uh, and again, every good pastor longs to have more time with his people um, and applying the word right where they are in a one-on-one setting to his people. So that's kind of the scalpel. Um, hopefully that kind of makes sense to, to people. Yeah. I think, I think exactly what you're saying is huge. The, the idea that word sacrament and prayer, especially word and prayer, obviously sacrament yeah. kind of has its own place in the, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the service, but um, word and prayer is something that happens mm. not just in a Sunday morning service. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and I think that that's what's huge about, again, this idea of physician of the soul. You can do that in, you know, to carry the metaphor, the operating theater of yeah. the of the Sunday morning service, but you also do it over coffee, yeah. you do it over meals. And, and even, you know, obviously sacraments are one thing, but taking that idea of the incarnational nature of the mm-hmm. Lord's Supper... Okay. You know, yeah. What do, what do we do most of the time? We get coffee or we get a meal. Right. And there's this idea that you know, again, the Lord's Supper is the Lord's Supper, but that carrying that idea of this yeah. incarnational gathering at the table, we are together yeah. thing. All three of those elements really kind of come into play both in the Sunday morning service, but mm. then also Monday through Saturday. Yeah. In this ability to. Yeah, just sit down and talk and have a conversation and yeah. and get at what's going on in that kind of two way street. And, and I think that's huge, huge, huge for what it really means to be a pastor. Yeah, yeah. Expanding past again this idea of the Sunday morning kind of two hour service right. show in a way. 
right. to what his day-to-day life yeah. look like. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, on that too, I think when you, when you are, you know, doing each of these things, right. Uh, you know, um, obviously using the word as, you know, the, the scalpel of the Holy spirit as a pastor, who's a physician of the soul in the day-to-day life, you know, it is super vital prayer together is also super vital. You're going together. You're, you're walking, you know, and this is another thing that, that pastors like dream of good pastors dream of this. Somebody coming to them and saying, Hey, can, can you just like grab me by the arm right now and walk me to the feet of Jesus? That would be really, really great. And pastors, every good pastors everywhere are going, Oh my gosh, yes, please. I, I, Oh, I woke up this morning hoping that this would happen. And, and here you are, like, you just want somebody to go with you. You need a friend to take you to Jesus. I'll do it. I, I'm so excited. But I think even with a little asterisk beside it, um, what you're saying about, you know, the particularly, um, you know, the sacrament of of the Lord's Supper, you know, there, you know, we don't want to confuse kind of titles here, but but the sacramental type thing, again, big air quotes there, so don't read into this some sort of weird thing, but sitting down together with your pastor and, and sharing a meal is is super vital. And, and so if you have like each of those components where during the week your pastor is is you know walking arm in arm with you to the feet of Jesus in prayer, he's you know, applying the the scalpel of the spirit um, in a counseling session and you know you're you're communing, right? We can use that word. That's probably better. Mm-hmm. Communing with one another over a meal. When you do that, what happens on Sunday is just magnified Be- mm. because in a in an you know even more unique way here you sit on in a in a corporate setting and you're really in a sense in a very unique way that's not happening during the rest of the week you're watching the inbreaking of new creation in so many different ways as now this this in some capacity this multitude of people or two or three or whatever uh, gathering on the Lord's Day, um, where you know, you, during the preaching, there is this real sense of you're able to say, "Thus saith the Lord." Um, and at the the Lord's table, uh, at least in our belief as you know, Reformed Presbyterians, um, in a in a unique way, by faith through the Spirit, we together as a body are really going into the throne room. Uh, of Jesus and sitting and being fed at a table with King Jesus, who now physically sits at the right hand of God, the father almighty, great mystery there. Um, we're, we're corporately as a body, uh, confessing sin and singing praises in a way that is unique. And so doing this throughout the week, these three things really will only magnify, uh, and, and brighten and, um, you know, make even more special uh, what's occurring on a Lord's Day worship. Uh, and so there's another thing. If, uh, you know, if um, Sundays are are seeming to, to be a little bit dull or something like that, one thing that you might could do, I, don't, I can't always guarantee that this will happen, but one thing that might help is actually just spending some time with your pastor. It'd make his day. Um, so... Anyway, yeah, those three things. I really like that kind of categorical distinction of 
what's going on during the week, and then the specialness of of these three things now happening on the Lord's Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. that's absolutely huge. Yeah, absolutely huge. Because um, again, like you can't yeah, to keep carrying the metaphor because it's just fun. But you can't operate if you don't know what's wrong. Yeah, you can't. You can't get at the issues, right? The underlying issues, right? If you don't know what's wrong. Yeah, that's so true. You know, and there, um, one, <laughs> and maybe we can kind of end on this. One of the best pastors, I think, in the past one hundred years was a, a Welsh guy by birth, but he pastored in London, um, Martin Lloyd Jones. Uh, I think he was one of the most phenomenal pastors uh, that, you know, again, at least in the English-speaking world in the past hundred years. But Lloyd Jones actually started his his you know professional life as one of the premier physicians. Um, he he was actually one of the Queen's physicians for a time, and then felt a call to ministry. And one thing that made his pastoral ministry so unique is he had a mind for diagnosis. And um, and so, you know, part of that, I think, was his his medical training. Um, and, you know, I've read some, some phenomenal biographies. Um, the best ones are by uh, Ian Murray. He's written a short, single-volume um, biography, which is very good. If you have a little bit of time, read it. If you have more time, read the two-volume um, set that, uh, Ian Murray also did. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he just had such a capacity to, to see the various parts of either the human body or the human soul, um, and diagnose where it was going awry. And, um, to this day, there are still people, you know, one of his, he did a, a Friday night lecture series on the book of Romans and it took him, I forget how long, 13 years, maybe. Um, to this day, I heard Sinclair Ferguson say, to this day, if you meet somebody that was there, there's just this indelible mark on them. Uh, because here's a man who the Lord has gifted um, with you know a mind for truth and a heart for God through the work of the Spirit, totally reliant on him, uh, who is taking the book of Romans and knowing his people and diagnosing so many parts of the soul, but then using the word of God both as a scalpel uh, and as a salve for the soul, and just did so in such an effective way uh, that there really is a whole generation of people who who have this mark of what a good pastor has done um, in, in being able to do that. But there are a lot of components that with it and went with it, and uh, we hope that. Um, that your current pastors do that well, for sure trying, uh, but we hope that the next pastor does that well too. So that that's that's great. So next week, next we week we'll look at another pastor profile. We will look at another pastor profile. I don't know which one yet. Um, we have probably uh five or six more, depending pastor profiles. Uh, all different things, all really exciting things. Um, and we look forward to bringing this conversation to you next week. And if people have questions, they can email keaton.paul at org. We'll put that link in the show notes. And kind of towards the end of this, 
series on pastoral leadership, we'll do a little Q&A and kind of hopefully answer some questions there. Perfect. All right. Thanks, Keaton. Yep.